now introducing Mr. Kawada himself, my dad. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I am your host, Donnie Waldron. Welcome in. Today is episode 23. We're going to be doing the history of Omega watches. We're also going to be doing the history of Bond and his Omega watches, how Bond got to wear Omega, and we're going to go through the movies where Omega's been featured and uh, which one. We're going to bring in Lorenzo from Omega Bond Watches, and uh, we're really going to get in-depth about Bond, Omega, and Omega's significance in the history of you know World War II and, and, and on forward. So it's, it's going to be a fun episode, and again, who doesn't like talking about Bond and his watches? It's just one of those topics. I think of all the accoutrement that Bond wears, the watches, besides the suits and the tuxedos, I think the watches are everyone's favorite. I, I think I can pretty much confidently say Bond and his watches are, I think, everybody's favorite thing to talk about as far as, you know, style. The universally loved among men are the watches. And it's uh, it's really interesting. Omega has an interesting history. And, of course, we'll talk, we'll talk Bond, we'll talk watches. It'll be a good episode. Before we get started, I just want to do a couple things of housekeeping. If you go on my Instagram page and go to the link tree, you'll see that I've got some merchandise up now, like a ton of stuff now. T-shirts, mugs, uh, leggings, sweatpants, everything. You're going to see a black and gold variation of my logo and a black and blue variation of my logo. Um, Just go ahead and scroll through. There's a a huge line of stuff that I I put up there. I got some ones where... uh, you know, my logo's on over the top of American flag. And then I got some shirts with like the Union Jack and the American flag and my logo. It's just, uh, I think there's some cool stuff on there. I'm going to do an actual like IG launch on January 10th. But anybody listening to the podcast, you guys can go on right now. I'll let you guys check it out. Give some feedback. Tell me what you think of the stuff. And yeah, just let me know what you guys think before I actually do a launch. Because, you know, I feel like the podcast listeners, you guys are the ones that want to cater to the most. And uh, you guys tell me, hit me in the DMs, let me know what you think of this stuff. If it's trash, if it's good, let me know. Either way, either way, I'll take either thing. Also, if you guys just wouldn't mind just um, leaving a, uh, either a, like a five-star review, that's, that's, that's what I would suggest you do. Uh, just on the podcast, uh, it, would, it would help. Comment, whatever you want to do, even if you want to leave something else. If, if you just do any kind of engagement, uh, I just really appreciate it. And, of course, like, comment, subscribe on YouTube if you watch it on that. So thank you again, guys. We're going to get right into it. We're going to get the history of Omega, how Bond got there, and how Lorenzo should really just give me his watches. All right, guys, let's get right into it. Six minutes, James. The same six minutes you gave me, and the menacing laugh that follows. The audience knowing Bond only has three minutes to escape. Bond and Natalia are trapped in a seemingly inescapable train cart with no exit in sight. But all is not lost, however. Pierce Brosnan uses what will become the most iconic use of a watch gadget in Bond history, the watch laser. To this day, most people regard this as their favorite Bond gadget, and for me, it certainly is. Rolls up his sleeve, takes it off, takes off the watch, points and all of a sudden there's a laser coming out of the bottom of the Omega watch where it's just perfectly displayed for the camera. His own new Omega Seamaster 300mm Quartz Professional Model 2541.80.00 and gets to work. He fires the red laser for the watch to the floor, making an escape door for Bon and Natalia. Bon and Natalia escape, but not before making everyone in the audience want to leave the theater and go right and buy a new watch. 
This was the beginning of an over 25-year relationship between Swiss watch manufacturer Omega and 007. I know when I saw him put that laser on and take it out, and then you look at the video game where you're like, oh, Natalia, can you just type? Even after you've already done the floorboards and you've already lasered all the, all the trap door on the video game, and you're just looking and you're sitting there waiting, and Natalia's just tuck, 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 tuck. Tuck, tuck, tuck. What she would do in the video game so many times, you're like, oh my god, why don't you type? Um, but yeah, it, it, it was just, you fall in love with that watch right away. So how did the Swiss maker find its way into Bond's wrist? For the answer to that question, we have to go all the way back to 1848 in Le Chute de France in Switzerland. It is here where Louis Brand would begin his business of making and selling watches from his humble shop. In this time, watchmaking was for the most skilled craftsmen. It was really creating art more than machinery. Louis Brand would use parts from local shops to make pocket watches, which would then be sold in Italy, England, and throughout Europe. The company was growing, and Louis' sons took over the business in 1879. Once his sons took over the business, they created a system of manufacturing interchangeable parts. This made for a system where they could produce watches in greater number with greater efficacy. In 1885, they released the Labrador, the company's first mass-produced timepiece. In 1887, the 19-line Omega Caliber was released and it became an instant hit. Shortly after, the company officially changed its name from Le General Watch Company to Omega. In 1905, Omega became the official timekeeper for Switzerland sporting events. In 1932, they became the official timekeeper sponsor for the Olympic Games to be held in Los Angeles. Omega has maintained their spot as the official timekeeper for the Olympic Games ever since. Also in 1932, Omega debuted its Marine watch. The Marine tested so well that it was used by Yves Lepieux. Now Yves Lepieux was considered the father of modern diving. He was a French Navy officer and the inventor of the scuba tank and the scuba mask. In 1936, the Omega Marine accompanied Charles Beebe in an unpowered sea submersible. It reached depths of 14 meters, which the Marine easily withstood. Omega had established itself as one of, if not the premier watchmaker in the world. In 1940, the British Armed Forces and the Allied Forces came calling. Omega became the largest supplier of watches to the Allied Forces. The Omega CK2129 was used by RAF pilots. The rotating bezel made it desirable for pilots needing to have both timing and precision to plan raids. Among 2,000 of these watches were sent to the Ministry of Defense. The cream-colored background and pronounced numerals made the watch the choice for pilots and military alike. Through the course of World War II, Omega delivered more than 110,000 soldiers' watches in both Air Force and Navy. To respond to the needs of the forces, Omega quickly adapted and made giant leaps forward in water resistance, shockproof, and anti-magnetic watches. The result of these innovations from the research done in the field was the creation of what would become the iconic Bond watch, the Omega Seamaster. So while the Marine was out there in World War II, they got feedback from soldiers who were actually in the battle, field testing these things. And what they found, and they tweaked um, all the research they did from the field testing, that resulted in the Omega Seamaster. In 1848, Omega launched the Omega Seamaster. The Seamaster followed in the footsteps of the waterproof watch that preceded it. What set the Seamaster apart was that it took inspiration from the submarines that were being built in World War II. The Seamaster used an O-ring gasket that were the same type used in the submarines. Previous waterproof watches used lead or shellac gaskets, which would change their shape in instances of temperature change. And the last thing you want a watch to be doing is, is, is uh, at the seams is expanding and contracting. 
The implementation of this O-ring created a vacuum seal that made it effective at depths that could not be reached previously. The watch could withstand temperatures of negative 40 and 50 degrees Celsius, or negative 40 and 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Omega even had the Seamaster attached to the outside of an aircraft and flown over the North Pole to prove their point. In 1957, James Bond's future watch was born, the Seamaster 300. Around this time, scuba diving was the sport du jour, and in response to this, Omega released three models that are still a staple of their lineup today. The Speedmaster, the Railmaster, and the Seamaster 300 all debuted in 1947. The famous explorer Jacques Cousteau and his team wore the Seamaster 300 on their experiments in the Red Sea in 1963. The Speedmaster would go on to make its own mark on the world. In 1962, Wally Shearer wore the Speedmaster on his Mercury Sigma 7 mission, making it the first Omega in space. Later, in 1969, the Speedmaster would be on the wrist of Buzz Aldrin, as he became the first man to walk on the moon. And of course he did so in great style, just dripping swag off the wrist when he's on the moon. You know, you never know. Maybe he could get out of the spaceship and a nice pair of moon boobs would be sitting there. You know, you gotta have that Omega on there. A little flashy. Can't just be walking up with a regular Timex go chasing moon boobs. No. You gotta have that. You gotta have that real swag. Everything was going smoothly for the Swiss watchmaker, and that is until 1969 when a Japanese company named Seiko forever changed the watch market. Up until 1969, 95% of the world's watches were made in Switzerland. No one dared compete with the Swiss because the gap between them and other countries was too great to even bother trying. By 1969, Seiko changed all that, and they released a watch called the Astron. The Astron was the first ever quartz watch that was sold on a mass scale. Seiko chose to market this watch on precision over craftsmanship. These quartz watches were in comparison much cheaper to produce, and the timing was more precise than those of the Swiss. Well, the way a quartz watch works is the watch battery sends a signal through a piece of crystal quartz, which vibrates at 32,768 times per second. That constant vibration, when attached to a motherboard, creates a reliable pulse or a tick. This inexpensive and precise watch nearly brought the end of the, Swiss, of the Swiss watches. Omega and other tried to make their own quartz watches, but by then they had fallen behind and were seen as old and past the times. Seiko was coming out with new and futuristic watches, and by 1977, Seiko had become the world's largest watch manufacturer, and the Swiss market was near collapse. In order to save the Swiss watch industry, the bank stepped in and bailed the manufacturers out. Ernst Tomp and Nicholas Hayek took over and led the effort to save Switzerland's third largest export. The Swiss watch industry was comprised of two conglomerates, ASUAG and SSIH. Hayek came up with a plan to merge the two conglomerates, with Omega being included in this merger. This became known as the Swatch Group. After the merger, the industry was revived. From 1974 to 1983, the watches had fallen from 96 million produced to just around 45 million. But by 1985, the number was back up to 60 million. Today, through the work and leadership under Hayek, Swatch is once again the world's leader in watch manufacturing. As the shift changed to quartz, the Swatch Group was thriving again, but once glorious Omega had lost its luster. It was still in the Olympic Games, and adventurers all over the world, from race car drivers to skiers, had Omegas on their wrist. But even still, the luster of Omega had faded. Omega needed to find its way to someone's wrist that would restore its glory. In walked Bond. James Bond. In 1995, Lindy Hemming was tasked with creating the look for Pierce Brosnan's Bond. It had been six years since the last Bond, and Lindy felt 
that Bond needed a new look. In addition to putting bras in a well-tailored Brioni suit, Lindy felt that Rolex didn't feel Bond anymore. Rolex had become flashy, uh, more of a look at entitled rich city boys than former Navy men uh, sent around the world to kick ass and steal women's hearts. Lindy felt that Bond needed to look like a modern European man, but not like a, a Rolex kind of guy, you know? Rolex definitely has a, to me too, Rolex kind of has, I mean, they're beautiful watches, but I don't know, something about the brand just doesn't feel manly to me. Something about the brand itself, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Lindy remembered that several former Navy men that she knew all wore Omega, and that Omega was more synonymous with a rugged man's luxury watch. So Lindy decided to go to Omega, and they gladly provided watches for Goldeneye. Slightly protruding from his perfectly pressed cuffs, Holding a shaken, not stirred martini in his hand, Pierce and Omega showed the versatility of the Seamaster 300. Classy enough to wear at a Monte Carlo casino, but rugged and durable enough to withstand jungles, train fights, and when to say, no, 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 no more foreplay. When Goldeneye was released, and Pierce so perfectly and stylistically displayed the Seamaster 300, and when he used the laser, Omega had once again regained its luster. Omega and Bond proved to be the perfect marriage of modern style and durability for the world's most famous secret agent. Bond films have gone on to feature a variety of Omega watches. Inspector Now No Time to Die, film-specific watches are being produced to be featured and marketed as James Bond watches. The marriage has been a perfectly symbiotic marriage between a luxury watch company that needs an icon and an icon that needs a luxury bit of accoutrement to finish his spy look. As the No Time to Die Omega watch hits the marketplace and Daniel Craig's time as Bond comes to a close, we can all look forward to not only who the next Bond will be, but what the next Omega watch will be on the next Bond's wrist. And I think they've really done a good job, especially in the last two movies, of really making unique. Like you look at the Spectre watch, you know it's the Spectre watch. You look at the No Time to Die watch, you'll know it's a No Time to Die watch. And the other ones, um, I love the Seamaster 300, I love the Golden Eye one, but they kind of do, you kind of have to be a Bond fan to know that that's the Bond watch. I, I think that they've created such unique looks now that when you have it on your wrist, you know, it doesn't have to say 007 on it, it just is 007. So I really love what Omega's doing. I can't wait to see what the next one's coming out. Anyways, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in um, Lorenzo so we can actually talk more specific not just the history of Omega we're going to go through each movie each each watch that's in the movie and uh, talk about what the style is what the changes were uh, likes dislikes so it's going to be a fun interview and uh, Lorenzo is so great on this topic so without further ado welcome my good buddy Lorenzo from Omega Bond Watches hey my walk is so cocky the bouncers don't even stop me ain't no pat down no ID they know me that shit I be bitch I pack out the lobby just from fans trying to find me I got daughters and mothers trying to fuck with the gunner two-tone shoot like the All right, welcome in my good buddy, Lorenzo from Omega Bond Watches. Love having you on today. Um, I'm so glad to see you're still doing well from that, that N64 beating you took, that golden eye beat down. <laughs> I knew. I, I, I like had a bet going with myself. I was like, in the first minute of this this YouTube video, <laughs> Donnie is going to blast me on the golden eye. I, I oh. knew it was coming. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen, Lorenzo and I had a barn burner of a, uh, a match on Goldeneye. Um, so it's really great to talk to you in today. Again, we're talking about 
Omega and how James Bond got his Omega watch. How did, the road that led from Omega all the way 150 years ago to Pierce Brosnan's wrist. And can you just tell me a little bit about what Omega and Bond has meant to you as far as when you discovered it and how it's meant to you yourself? Of course. Um, I mean, <laughs> GoldenEye N64, like a lot of people in my age group, that that was like my introduction to Bond. And you couldn't... You really couldn't tell from your gameplay, but go ahead. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. When I played that game, it was it had to be at least 10 years. Yeah. So uh, I, I was really rough. But I will say this. I know I played a little bit better than Mr. Uh, Ray over there at the Bond Arbery. <laughs> Ray's, still, Ray's still bitter about that a little bit. He's, uh, he's like, you know what? You know what? I'm going to do it again. All right. Let's see it. I Rematches. love it. Rematch always. You should put something on the line this time. You should. He should have to change the name to the Bond Unarmory. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, N64 Goldeneye was my introduction to Bond. And so the first movie I saw was Tomorrow Never Dies. And I remember seeing the watch at the end of the movie when he uses the glass jar. And I guess the thing he pulls out of his watch is a glass breaker. And he detonates the grenade with his watch. And that got me hooked on Omega. Like, right there. Yeah. Like as, a, as a 12-year-old, I'm like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm all I'm all jazzed up. And I'm like, wow, this must be what the watch really does, you know? So I remember going into um, – and you're from, you're from Maryland, so you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I went to White Marsh Mall. And there's a, a Littman's Jewelry store in there. And I remember going in and asking this lady, Connie, to – if I could see the watch, you know, kid walking in a jewelry store and she was amazing. She took the time. She, she let me, you know, put it on. She talked to me about it. Like literally would let me be like play with the watch as long as I wanted. And every time I'd go to the mall, I'd see if she's there and if she's there, the watch is coming out. Like, so <laughs> it was, you know, it was really sweet of her to like, give me the opportunity to like, you know, I'm a kid. I'm not going to buy a watch, but yeah. Here we are, you know. <laughs> Lo and behold, look at look at you know, yeah, I know. Forward 15, 20 years later, look at you. And that's where it starts. And I think I, I, I've talked about this before: is the customer service and building a relationship. And yeah, you know, I never got to buy a watch from Connie, but she did the front end work, you know, to make me a customer long term. So I think whenever you're going into a luxury brand store, you need these sales associates need to keep that in mind. It might not be today, but it could be down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Between Connie and Bond, there you go. Now now you become Omega Bond watches. Omega Bond watches. <laughs> so we're kind of talking today, we talked about the history before, about how, I, how Omega was actually created. Let's talk about starting from Goldeneye, and we'll go all the way on, about the relationship between Omega and Bond. So for, we'll first start with Goldeneye. How, what, what watch and what capacity did you uh most enjoy goldeneye in the omega so the cool thing about the goldeneye watch is in all of the omega bond watches that have existed up until no time to die this is the only quartz movement watch in the collections of um of all the watches so that right there you know it's an old school movement it's battery operated it's like a traditional watch and mm -hmm. to be like the introduction to from for Omega to the Bond world. I think that's kind of nice and there's nostalgia there and, you know, considering Pierce ended up wearing, you know, essentially the same watch for his four films, 
you know, in Tomorrow Never Dies, he switched over to the automatic movement, which he would continue to wear until his tenure was over. But the Quartz Movement watch, I think, is it's definitely like a great way to mark the first Omega mm-hmm. in in the Bond lore. And I can't tell you how much time I spend on eBay looking at this watch, <laughs> being like, oh, my next one. So here's the here's the funny part about that. A lot of people don't know this, and you know I'm gonna say it now because I've I've kind of mentioned it on my page, but there's actually two versions of the Quartz watch, and a lot of people don't know this. The watch warning in um, Goldeneye was a tritium version of the of the what is now the Quartz movement that has been out since '97. So. Tritium is like the glowing um, indicators on the watch face. So tritium is like a material that glows. And most, well, all Bond watches going forward, so from Tomorrow Never Dies till now, use a Super Luminova. And the reason why they changed it is because tritium is actually a radioactive material. So after 10 years, it starts browning and patining. And um, there's, from 93 till mid 97 is when this watch was produced and there's a way to tell the difference between the original version that was worn in GoldenEye and the ones post 97 so the newer versions so um the way you tell is is on the dial you know where the writing is at the six o'clock there's a 300 for meters and so the three is asymmetrical versus the new version which is just a regular three and then the f in feet is more curved on the golden eye watch. And then on the newer version, it's more of like a straight up F it's really hard to find a tritium watch. Um, that doesn't look like it's aged. So I know a lot of people probably go to buy their golden eye watch and they're like, Oh, that one's yellow. I want one that looks like brand new. But the reality is the Browning ones are, are the ones that are the actual screen accurate version. And, um, you can see it pretty well when, Trevelyan like holds up both watches and at the end of the movie and there's a way you can you just look at the font on there and that's the difference between the screen accurate one and one that's not screen accurate and I mean we're talking literally two letters on the watch face yeah, the, yeah. so for the browning I feel like it's worth it just to be like yeah, it's, 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 it's totally the same one <laughs> exactly so some people like won't give a shit about that like for me personally <laughs> I have three divers now, so when I get mine finally, because that's the last one I need other than the vintage watch, um, I'll probably get one that's the correct version because I have one that's in good condition and I want it to be screen accurate. But that's for me, and th- that would be my my eleventh watch. So I mean, who cares? <laughs> when you have eleven watches, like you just want to be screen accurate at that point. So yeah. um, you asked me about like also like the gadgets and stuff. I mean, the laser was like really cool in, in the train scene because, and it was funny because before we had this interview today, I took the time to actually rewatch that scene because I was like. I really just wanted to like refresh my memory and the way they did it was, it was just so unexpected, which th- I thought that made it great. Yeah. Like, you see him take the watch off and then all of a sudden he's cutting the floor with the laser and it's just like a great surprise, you know, for, for um, the audience. Yeah. Cause in the beginning when he, he had the laser on the gun in the first intro, when he comes through the dam and he puts the hole in. So then you're like, okay. And then midway through, he's like, Oh, the laser's actually on the watch this time. And it was just, for me, that was for yours. Yours, it was tomorrow never dies. For me, it was uh, Goldeneye, and it was the first time you ever see that watch, and you see it with the laser, you see it with all the other gadgets and all that stuff. I was 
I was sold. I was mesmerized. I'm like, I was never a watch person before that. I'm like, done. Sold. <laughs> I want it all. And then you play the video game. Doo, 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 doo. I mean, it's, by the way, it's the hardest thing ever to aim that thing in the train level of Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. It's all over the place. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and that clock bounds to me, and the tie is like, tuck, 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 tuck. You'd be like, type faster, come on. <laughs> so then we got, we move on, and we got tomorrow never dies. You mentioned a little bit, basically, it's the same. It kind of looks the same. So what, what are the differences between the Golden Eye watch and the tomorrow never dies watch? So, like I mentioned earlier, the movement is going to be the biggest thing. So you're going from a battery operated, battery operated quartz movement in Golden Eye to now um, an automatic movement. So no batteries required. It's con- the watch is powered on kinetic energy. So just by like moving your hands and wrists, it recharges the watch. So for me, that's kind of why for some reason, for some reason, my watch gets really charged around the scene when Terry Hatcher is, is, uh, (laughs) for some reason, I don't know what it is. My watch gets super charged during that scene. But anyways, keep going. (laughs) I'm I'm glad to hear that you're a Southpaw. Anyway, so yeah, it was, uh, for me personally, like I love watches that don't operate on battery because, you know, you don't have to worry about sending it in every three, two to three years for a new battery. And then, um, you know, another, another cool thing about the watch is, so on this version, the difference is, is there's actually more riding on the bottom by six o'clock. That's the only thing that really differentiates between the two other than the movement. So on the GoldenEye version, it says, um, Seamaster, and then it says um, professional, professional, and then it says 300, and then the feet. On the on the automatic version, they put in chronometer, so that just you know reaffirms that it's an automatic movement. So there's four lines instead of three, and other than that, it's this and oh, and it's got the super luminova versus the tritium. That's the only change. So basically right now we're talking about the next three, the next two, mo- three movies after golden eyes. So it's the same watch, but, yeah. um, so obviously- not much aesthetically changed, just more functionality, just go from on course to automatic and then the dials itself. And I think back then when they were selling the watches, I think the quartz version was 12 or $1,300 and the automatic was 16 or 18 so it's like a five four or five hundred dollar difference mm-hmm. me i just know it was i knew it was under two i just didn't know exactly how much but um again i'm going off my childhood memory and <laughs> talking that kind of money you just don't really pay attention but yeah, uh, yeah it, it, there the price difference for me i would have went for the automatic obviously if i was yeah. buying back then do you use like do you use like one of the watch rotations for your watches, like the one in the watch winders or anything like that, or do you just kind of reset it every time? So, my theory is, and everyone has their own thing they like to do. Some people like to use a watch winder. I don't because I look at my watches as a car, and when you like start your car and turn it off, and start your car and turn it off, that's you know you only turn it on when you're using it. Mm-hmm. You don't like leave your car running in your garage, you know. So it's to me, it's more wear and tear on the watch to keep it running. Okay. People like to, you know, again, it's preference. You know, I got, I got eleven watches or ten watches at this point. So, 
sorry, I say 11 because I think of my girlfriends and she, she just got her first. So like in my head, I'm thinking 11, but it's really 10. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I rather pick up the watch, wind it and then wear it for the day. And then if I'm not wearing it, I just let it sit. And then, you know, really? I know a lot of people say, yeah, I know a lot of people say like letting them sit for a long period of time. It lets the lubricants kind of dry up and yada, yada, yada. But I mean, I rotate through my watches every, you know, every single day. So, yeah, the rest it's of us don't like all. It's sitting for months, so I mean. Yeah, and not everyone has ten Omega watches. <laughs> I'm gonna have. I'm at my one and wear it to death. <laughs> That's how I was. I mean, honestly, so I got my first watch in 2008, and then um, I didn't get my second one till 2016, so eight years later, yeah. and then it just became a problem. <laughs> 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 I'm looking for an AA group because I feel yeah. like I'm I'm heading that direction of having a problem. Oh well, wait, I, I already you, have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what you need to do is I think you need to get rid of the problem right away. You know, you don't even be tempted by it. So I think you should just let me have some of the omegas to really help your addiction. I'm I'm doing it for you, buddy. It's not for me. Hey, you know? that's love right there. That's true love. <laughs> so now we get into the world's not enough, and, and it's basically the same watch, right? Same watch as Tomorrow Never Dies. Different gadgets. Um. There are some cool gadgets in this film, you know, with the watch. A lot of people will talk about the grappling hook, but my personal favorite was the LED light. Like yeah. when he's, you know, the snow scene and they get trapped under the snow. I I thought that was really badass. I was like, that's a practical like gadget that, mm-hmm. you know, I could see it being actually in a watch versus a grappling hook that is so tiny is gonna repel I mean, yeah. it's a gr- it's I like the idea of it. I just think it needs a little more um I think they need to just make it expand on that idea a little bit. Like I was saying, when I did the podcast with uh, Luke and Jake, some of the gadgets we talked about, I had said that I thought it'd be cool if they did like a repelling, like instead of it being like something that shoots up and carries your weight, it's something that holds, holds your weight as you, you know, descend. So I thought that Luke's Luke said that there should be a like holograph shield. And I was like, I was listening. I'm like, all right, Luke, we need to, we're going to have to have an intervention. I literally was thinking of Jar Jar Binks in episode one, <laughs> and I'm thinking about those stupid blue shields, and I'm just like, please explain how this is gonna work. Misa got a shield on my watch. <laughs> another like another cool thing was uh, you remember in Iron Man three? No, 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 that was Avengers. No, it was Civil War. I don't know. Tony Tony Stark like takes his watch and puts it over his hand. It like turns into this like glove blaster or whatever. I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I don't think that's something that Bond would use. I think that's a little little out there in the fantasy world, but yeah. I always thought that was a cool gadget. But I mean, again, tomorrow never dies. You got the grappling hook, you got the light, and then I think that was it. There wasn't any other gadgets in there, was there? Yeah. No, I like I said, I, I want if the if the watch is going to do something, I like something small, like the laser or like like the light, or uh, you're talking like an EMP pulse, that would be great too. Now we move on to tomorrow, die another day. Basically the same watch again, right? Same watch again. This time we get we get the laser back, except for the differences is it shoots out of the crown of the watch instead of the um the noon marker. So mm-hmm. that was I actually like that better. I think that's a little more practical as far as aiming it. Um, I do like the sound better in the movie. <laughs> I mean, well, I prefer, uh, yeah, I prefer not even 
talk about Die Another Day. Moving on, Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so now we got our first like big change, right? Right. So Daniel comes onto the scene, and it's you know first scene we we're seeing him in the Planet Ocean with the rubber strap, forty five millimeter. I mean, this thing is like a tank compared to what we've seen from Pierce. It's very um. It's very masculine. It's very dominating on the wrist. And, you know, it's not as elegant as the Diver 300, you know. And I'm just sitting there. I was like, this is a total tool watch. Like, this is, this is like, a meaty watch. Like, I could see him, like, taking that off and punching someone in the face with it. Yeah. But um, it's very durable. And I think it was the appropriate choice for, you know, the chase scene in Madagascar. And then, again, like, he comes out of the ocean. A, definitely a practical, like, you know beach watch so i i like that they went a different direction and then this was the first introduction of the coaxial movement from omega so um they went from autumn 2500 automatic movement to this was um a 2500 or sorry the 2500 movement was the coaxial movement and before i think it was 1140 was the automatic so how do you feel about how do you feel about like when you're paying for luxury watch and stuff like that do the, the rubber band the rubber wrist strap so my secret is always buy the watch with the bracelet because it's always like a hundred or maybe two hundred dollars more and the strap costs 300 but if you're gonna buy a bracelet you're looking at eight to a thousand dollars and it's just like for such a little cost i know the reference number might not match but if you're trying to save some money in the long term, get it with the bracelet and then just buy like the the NATO or the rubber strap separate. Mm-hmm. It's not, and a lot of people don't really realize that. Like they they don't mark it up as much as they should. Like it's not like oh I'm getting the bracelet version, so it's going to cost exactly what a bracelet costs minus the the rubber strap or the NATO strap. So if you're going to get a watch that doesn't have a bracelet and it comes in a bracelet version, get the bracelet and then buy the NATO or the rubber strap. Yeah. Separately. yeah so, I agree. I yeah. can't imagine spending that much money just for the rubber strap too. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's, if I'm going to buy a luxury watch, I can play with it after, but I want the, I want the, bra- the bracelet part of it. I mean, that rubber strap either. It's like a $350 strap, you know, with the brace or with the buckle and the strap because you got to buy the buckle separate. So, I mean, it's not cheap. Like, Omega rubber straps are different than like buying a $50 off Amazon. So, yeah. And then the, the, the 300 took a, got a facelift too, a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, this is the first time since Tomorrow Never Dies that we see the Diver 300 get like some major changes. So obviously it becomes a coaxial movement. So that was like a big change. Um, there was also the change of they went with so the the marker on the Omega instead of it being painted on, it was actually applied. So they stamped the metal out and they applied it to the face to give it more of a rich look versus the the first two versions which were just painted on there so that that makes a difference and then they changed the seamaster from white to red and put it underneath the omega logo so Mm -hmm. that was um that was like a major change for that watch and i think for them kind of closing out those the gen one series that was like that was like a really good tasteful move i think it Mm -hmm. made me look more you know luxurious and it wasn't as I don't know. I feel like the painted on version makes it a little more casual, but yeah. it's all per- personal preference at that point. 
Mm. And then we go to Quantum of Solace. And I, I would take the GoldenEye watch, I think, just because of nostalgia, because it just meant so much to me. And that's the one I grew up on. But I think just for all of the Craig era and, and the Pierce Brosnan area, I think the black Omega professional one I might be my favorite one. Yeah, so the um, Quantum of Solace, which I think everyone in the community would agree that it's the st- most stylish Bond movie out of mm-hmm. all Daniels. I mean, just from a sartorial standpoint, it is just, for me, it's just, uh, it's iconic. Yeah. The suits, you know, it's Tom Ford's first, you know, time on the scene, the sunglasses, the watch. And again, this is the same exact watch he wore in Casino Royale. The difference was, is again, the bracelet versus the rubber strap and then the sizing, which the 45 millimeter, I feel like as time has gone on, it you know it's a big watch and big watches were big in the mid 2000s but now we're getting back to like you know 40 42 millimeters you know even 38s you know the mid-size and i just feel like that watch in kwama solace is it's daniel's watch like even specter watch aside like which you know you could have put up an argument for both of those but i feel like that was his watch and it was the only film where he wore one watch. So Mm -hmm. it's just a very tasteful watch. It doesn't have a ceramic bezel. It still has an aluminum bezel, but that watch just, it's very, the way it was like done and the way it looks, it's very tasteful and it's very retro looking. And I always recommend people that are like on the fence about what their first Omega will be. If they're looking for a bond watch screen watch, that's the one I always point to. If you're, if you're looking for a value, that's the one to go for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You get a you get a coaxial movement in it. It's a black face watch, so it goes with a lot more than a blue face watch. And it's just very it's a tasteful watch. And so that's my recommendation if you're getting your first Bond watch. Yeah. Yeah. And like I like the bigger watches too. I, I don't like the small because that just looks weird. I, I don't want it to I want it to feel like a not gaudy, not like, you know. I'm wearing gold chains and wearing a gold giant ass thing, you know, play the flame style, but I do want a bigger watch. And I think that this is just, just for me, it just hits the mark perfectly with the black, with the sleekness, with the style. And then the size for me, if nostalgia aside, quantum Solace is, is my Omega, I think. And then we go to, we go to Skyfall and uh, stay in black, right? Uh, so <laughs> Skyfall starts out with, this is kind of a hot topic because the watch that's in the movie isn't the actual watch that they sold. And I think it plays a huge difference because the watch in the movie is a planet ocean 8,500 movement. So they updated the movement inside the planet ocean. So it was like its own coaxial movement. And they made some changes. So instead of things being painted on the dial again, so on the Quama souls version, the only thing that's metal on there is the Omega logo. Everything else is painted on. And so with the Skyfall model, they changed the everything to applied stamped metal. So the, the hour markers, the, the logo, and the, the Omega name is all stamped and applied. So again, going with this luxurious look. And another big change was they changed the bezel from, from uh, aluminum to ceramic liquid metal. So the beauty of that bezel insert is that it's very scratch resistant and super durable. So with the aluminums, you can ding them, you can scratch them. It's, you know, 
and it happens, you know, I haven't had a situation where I've done anything crazy with my bezels, but I know there are people that are a lot rougher on their watches than I am. And it, it's definitely a, a pro for you to have like a ceramic bezel, but the movie watch. So here's the biggest difference is the movie watch. Daniel requested it to be in t- built in titanium grade five titanium. And they only produced it for the movie. And then the version they were selling in the stores was a steel on steel. Now this watch is way chunkier and heavier than the Kwame Souls version because they added, um, they needed more space to create a movement around the watch to make it more, um, I guess more, more accurate. And, uh, basically what ended up affecting it is this case sizing. So, I mean, this thing is, this is a tank watch. Like it, it is pretty thick for a 42 millimeter watch. And a lot of people were upset because they did end up making a titanium version, but it ended up having a blue face and a blue dial. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I keep hoping that they'll do like a 10 year anniversary, you know, limited edition, and they'll just re-release a watch in titanium and it'll be the exact model we wore in the movie. But that watch in titanium day and night from a steel version because wow. of the weight difference. So I can see why I'm Daniel sure the price wanted dif- titanium. The price difference, I'm sure, is going to be immense too. Mm, you're looking at, I think, the original steel on steel version was six grand, and the titanium version of that watch in blue ended up being eighty six hundred. So you're going to twenty six hundred dollars more, mm-hmm. just because of material. But I'd pay that price for for a titanium watch. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, but it was a great watch and. I, like I said, I hope down the road they've revisited it, but we'll see. Yeah, it didn't have much screen time. I, I, the one scene that I really remember is when he shifts when he's in the um, when he's in the front end loader. Yeah. Uh, when he gets there and it's really a shot, like you could really that's the, that's a really gratuitous shot. I don't really remember too much other showcasing of the watch. No, so the the only other time you see it really, in, and this was in the movie, they shot a scene where he's on the bike and they showed the watch on his wrist and they ended up using that in the um, Skyfall Omega commercial. So you uh, see him like riding the bike and like he's like, you know, you see him holding the handle and you see the watch there. So I wonder if they like were kind of thinking like, oh, we'll show the watch on this part or we'll do it in the digger. And I feel like on the bike, it would have been even worse than on the digger. At least like he's actually doing yeah. some kind of action with the, you know, with his hand, like riding the bike, you're just going to see him holding the handle. So it's just yeah. really blatant. But yeah. even a lot of people like argue, like why they even put that scene in? And you know, it's, you know, it's, they got to get their, Omega pays yeah. a lot of money in these movies. So it's, they got to get their moment. Yeah. I don't mind that one. I don't, I don't when he's there and when they just wait a second, I don't mind that movement. There's someone that, like the Brosnan and some of the other ones had some really gratuitous product placement. That one wasn't too bad. Even like the Heineken or some of the other things. I had, I don't mind the product placement in the Craig movies nearly as much as I did in the Brosnans where it was like in your face nonstop. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So now we got Spectre. Actually, no, you missed one. What I missed? <laughs> So we got the, so after he, you know, shot and he makes his return to MI6, he has his Aquaterra on, his first Aquaterra. And this one is kind of bittersweet for me because I love that he kind of went with a dress watch. The only thing I hate is it's a midsize. And a lot of people love that it's a midsize, but I just, I can't stand it. I I think, I think it's too small. It's 38.5 is it's a tiny watch and 
it's funny because it would have been fine if this would have continued right on in the Spectre and it would have been the same watch. But then Inspector, they go from a, they go to a forty one point five millimeter master coaxial Aquaterra instead of the watch he had already previously worn. I wish it would have just been like, okay, stay with the same size and update the movement. Or it is just kind of weird. It's a weird change for me, like to see him like kind of go from this to to like this bigger watch. It's like the only. It's kind of like the black sheep in the whole collection. It's the only one that's smaller than forty millimeters. You know, so I'm just kind of like, why would they do that? Yeah, and I've tried it on myself, and I just it looks it looks like a like I'm wearing a, a girl's watch on my wrist. You know, it's I, yeah. very small watch. <laughs> I know people with more petite wrists are gonna appreciate it because it's gonna fit them a lot better. But I mean, it is kind of the black sheep, other than the vintage with the which the vintage watch inspector, which we're heading that direction anyway. Um, that's a 35 millimeter. So that one's even smaller than that. But I mean, it's a vintage watch. So I, I, you know, I don't have any qualms with that, but it's just, it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, why go midsize and then go right back to you yeah. know, size men's watch. So I don't know, but I do love uh, the brush bracelet on it and the, the date window um, frame that, and that makes that watch different from the model they chose inspector. So there are some differences, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So let's get right into it. Well, Spectre, we'll start with the with the one you're talking about, the uh, the vintage, and then we'll go to the 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 big one that is associated with with Spectre. Sure. So the vintage made it into the end of the film, and it was unknown what this watch was for a hot minute, and no one knew that it was even going to be in the film until we saw it. And it's a 1965 Omega Vintage Seamaster Chronograph, uh, 321 with a uh, 321 movement in it and it's just it's a stellar watch it's a it's a very tasteful vintage extremely hard to find it's got flat pushers on it and i've been searching for one for almost since the movie came out and i still haven't found one i've seen one person on instagram that owns one and they're not willing to part with it i don't blame <laughs> them but um it's just it's definitely the grail for me. It's it's the hardest one to find. I mean, mm-hmm. even even the Spectre watch, a lot of people think is hard to find. At least you can find them for sale. They're just very expensive. But to find this vintage, it is definitely a collector's piece. Yeah. Uh, and I hope <laughs> I'll have one one day <laughs> to complete my collection, or at least make my collection current. I'm never going to complete it because. There's going to be more Bond movies and more Bond watches I'm going to want. Yeah, and like I said, you can always send them my way, and I'll take care of them for you. Like <laughs> so now we've got what I think is the one that was marketed the most for a movie, the Spectre watch. Am, am I wrong in saying that, that this was like the, the one that was like, this is movie watch, this is the Spectre watch? So this one, the Spectre 300 is, yes, this is the watch for the movie. And again... It's funny because here we are again. The Aquaterra is like not getting any attention at all. Just like in Skyfall, they didn't put any attention on that watch at all. And they went the direction of like marketing the 300. It's a limited edition. You know, there's a scene with Q giving it to him. It's our first time seeing a gadget with the watch in the Daniel Craig era. There's a lot to love about that watch. I love that they did a NATO strap. You know, um, it was something different. And then. I think a lot of people can agree that NATO strap kind of made the watch 
like it, it's iconic like the goldfinger nato because yeah it everyone recognizes the, the the two gray stripes and the three black ones on the nato and they're like that's the bond that's the bond nato and it's just like to have something like that like in daniel's tenure it, it's just awesome like mm-hmm. I, I love that 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 watch i think as more time passes by that watch is going to become more special than it already is and it's just going to age really well mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a it was a great move by them. It was the first time in the series that they had collaborated on a watch that was specifically for James Bond, and it was a limited edition, and it was designed ju- just for Bond. So I think they had such an overwhelming um, positive influence from Daniel being a part of it and making this m- watch for the movie and making it purchase um, it being able to be purchased that instead of just being from their main collection line and they just pick one out and they're like, okay, this is the Bond launch. Now we're getting like a custom, this yes. is James Bond's watch. And just like Aston Martin did the DB10, this is James Bond's custom car. Like that stuff is what makes being a Bond fan even more exciting. So mm-hmm. yeah, the 300 definitely. And this is why I said, this watch is the only one in my opinion that can rival that, that Kwame Solis watch because it was designed specifically for Bond. And yeah. it's it's a limited edition and it had major screen time. So, so now we, I, I agree. So now we got into the No Time to Die watch. Now, when you came over, you let me wear it, and I've got to wear it. David Zariski let me wear it. I, I I've I've touched it a little bit, and I just feel like I, I'm not worthy of touching it yet. So <laughs> how do you how do you feel about how the the new ones come out? No Time to Die kind of follow the same thing as Spectre as far as this is the No Time to Die watch. This is the Spectre watch. How do you feel about what they've done? with the upgrade and clearly an upgrade in price and everything like that that's gone on with the no time to die watch they did a great job with the no time to die watch i i love the loom on the bezel that was kind of like you know that was something new that we hadn't seen before and then obviously the tropical brown dial once i saw the watch in person i was like i love this watch mm-hmm. you know it was way better in person than in any photo and i'm sure you could say the same thing when you saw oh, yeah, it for absolutely. the first absolutely. yeah when you see it in pictures, like, eh, and then you see it in person, it's like it looks so much different. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a Tinder date. You know, you swipe left and expect one thing, and you get there, it's oh. not the same. Well, this is on the better end of that. You know, you swipe, <laughs> you swipe right, you give it a chance, you're like, eh, she's D, she's a six, and you get there, and she's like an eight, and you're just like, wow, here we go, girl cleans <laughs> up, it's amazing what makeup can do, and a, and a push-up bra. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of that, buddy, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a treat. You've been amazing. Again, your your Omega watches uh, knowledge is, is uh, uh, second to none. But you came into the lion's den. You got to get the question. All right. All Questions. right. All right. You got a choice. Okay. Any any Bond girl, any Bond girl in the entire movie series, but you have to give it one of your watches. What watch? What girl? Is gonna is worth for you. Mm, okay, I'm giving up. <laughs> a lot of people are gonna get pissed about this one. I'm gonna give up my Skyfall Aquaterra. Okay, good choice. Too yeah. small. Too small. And I'm going with. Uh, I'm taking your girl Anna. I'm taking her from you. Don't you dare! <laughs> Don't you dare! Don't you dare! Take that back. <laughs> Perfect trade. You say- you take that back, sir. <laughs> then I'm going to tell her, I'm like, oh, let Donnie play Goldeneye with his friends. I'll show you a good time. 
Well, if you're gonna, tr- if I get to play gold night with my friends over Anna, you know, maybe at least to sweeten the deal a little bit. But you can't believe you swine you're gonna take Anna. Oh, well, I hi, had everybody. to. I had to hit oh. you where it hurts. I had to get you back for those gold night comments. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, man. Well, thank you so much, Lenzo. We'll make a bond watch. So if you're not following on Instagram, you gotta follow. Click it. Click it right now. Follow. So whatever you gotta do. He's an amazing guy. Fun guy. Thank you so much for coming on today, Lorenzo. And as always, let me have your watches when you're sick of them. Thanks, Donnie. I appreciate coming on. And um, it was an honor to finally get onto your, your podcast. And I love talking watches. And, you know, anytime there's a question or if you need help finding one, you know where to find me. Sounds good. And uh, you're not invited back on. Just picking Anna. That's mine. Anna's mine. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> All right, my man. Take care. See you later, brother. Yeah. From king to a god, nigga. But trust me as king. God level flow. Celestial being. All right, thank you so much, Lenzer, for coming on. It was a lot of fun. As always, always fun talking to you, man. So um, thanks for taking time out of your day and joining the show. Always a treat. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, if you want to check out for, for the podcast listeners, I really want some feedback. Um, tell me what you think about the uh, the merch, the merchandise. It looks like I said, go to my Instagram page, Quantum of History. Go to the link tree in the bio, and then you'll see the, first, the top two are the merchandise ones. Let me know what you think. And uh, if you like them, get some. Let me know. Let me know what you think. And if you guys have any um, suggestions about which kind of things that you want or, or, or anything, I'd love some feedback on it. And again, like, follow, subscribe, comment, do whatever. You know the, you know the drill. You know the drill now. Um, so, yeah, thank you thank you guys so much for coming on. This is one of those fun episodes. You know, it's not it's, – it's a real light – it's a real light episode, and I think sometimes I, I we need a little couple light episodes. So, uh, this was the history of Omega. This was episode twenty-three. I am Donnie Waldron. This is Quantum of History. As always, thank you guys so much for coming out there, and as always, stay positive out there, guys. Take care until next time. <laughs>